In this video, we kick off our discussion of Chapter 10, Government, of Leonard Peikoff's book, Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand, with the topic of individual rights as absolutes. Stay tuned. All right, so now we're transitioning from ethics to politics, and specifically we're going to be talking about the principles that should govern organizing a social system and objectivism's basic answer is that the principle is individual rights so rand describes rights as a concept that preserves and protects individual morality in a social context and in her formal definition she puts it as a right is a moral principle defining and sanctioning a man's freedom of action in a social context what rights do we have? Well, we get the answers basically from morality. So it's just as morality upholds life as the standard of value and says that the achievement of life is our moral purpose, our basic right is the right to life. All of our other rights, liberty, property, the pursuit of happiness, are aspects of the right to life in the same way that all the other virtues and values are aspects of the pursuit of man's life. So this is how Leonard puts it. Each of man's rights has a specific source in the objectivist ethics, and beneath that in the objectivist view of man's metaphysical nature, which in turn rests on the objectivist metaphysics and epistemology. Man is a certain kind of living organism, which leads to his need of morality and to man's life being the moral standard which leads to the right to act by the guidance of this standard, i.e. the right to life. Reason is man's basic means of survival, which leads to rationality being the primary virtue, which leads to the right to act according to one's judgment, i.e. the right to liberty. Unlike animals, man does not survive by adjusting to the given, which leads to productiveness being a cardinal virtue, which leads to the right to keep, use, and dispose of the things one has produced, i.e. the right to property. Reason is an attribute of the individual, one that demands as a condition of its function unbreached allegiance to reality, which leads to the ethics of egoism, which leads to the right to the pursuit of happiness. And so then there's some clarification of what this means. So rights are rights to actions. You can't have a right to actions and products of others, which would violate their rights. They would be forced to sacrifice themselves to you. And so objectivism rejects the whole concept of economic rights, such as a right to a home or a job or health care. The way Leonard puts it is, all such claims involve a contradiction. If my right to life entails a right to your labor or its product, you cannot have a right to liberty or property. Nor are there any collective rights. We don't gain or lose rights by being part of a group. Nor are there any rights to parts that is treating the unborn as if they have rights means sacrificing the actual to the potential. The way Leonard puts it is rights belong only to man and men are entities, organisms that are biologically formed and physically separate from one another. That which lives in with that which what lives within the body of another can claim no prerogatives against its host. And nor do we get the animals have rights because you can't deal with them by means of reason and persuasion. And so the only way that rights can be violated, the rights of actual individual living human beings, 
is through the initiation of physical force. Physical force is the only way to negate man's mind. And as Leonard puts it, only the crime of force is able to render its victims helpless. The moral responsibility of organized society, therefore, lies in a single obligation to banish this crime, i.e. to protect individual rights. And so then the final perspective we get is that rights are not intrinsic, they're not subjective, they're objective. They follow from the choice to embrace the goal of self-preservation and man's nature as a rational being. So both variants of the primacy of consciousness, intrinsicism, subjectivism, we get are ultimately anti-rights. So there's really an infinity you could cover under the topic of individual rights. Um, and I'm only going to touch on a few key points, so some resources that I think are valuable. Uh, definitely my books, particularly Free Market Revolution, which are really aimed at presenting a lot of what's in this topic of rights in the best way that I know how. Then there's a series of lectures on YouTube, and I'll try to uh, link to these in the show notes, by Ankar Gatte and Greg Samieri on what is liberty. And all of those lectures are, I think, absolutely essential on this topic, particularly where they cover rights and force. Then, as kind of a wider context, Ankar's video, The Morality of Freedom, I think gives has a lot to say about how to think about rights. On an issue that I'm not going to talk about here, but that comes up in the chapter, which is the connection between religion and freedom, because Peikoff treats it very briefly about, well, in, you, the intrinsicist religious view is ultimately anti-rights, but it's not 100% obvious, I think, um, even to objectivists in some case. So uh, Leonard has a Ford Hall forum, Religion versus America, that's available on YouTube. And then Ankar Gatte is a really good lecture, Religion versus Freedom, on that topic. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the sort of historic roots of the concept of rights, but a really good source for this is a book by C. Bradley Thompson, America's Revolutionary Mind. And you'll get a lot about how thinkers, particularly Americans, um, but also some of the people that they were building on um, initially conceived of rights, including the philosophic foundations that they were based in. Then, of course, the Blackwell Companion, edited by Greg Salmieri and Alan Godhalf, has a lot of good stuff on how Ayn Rand thinks about rights and some of the issues that come up here. And then finally, which this is just a blanket recommendation for both chapter 10 and chapter 11 of OPAR, the um, book Foundations of a Free Society, Reflections on Ayn Rand's Political Philosophy, edited by Gregory Salmieri and Robert Mayhew, has some really spectacular pieces on it. Particularly, um, there's uh, one by Greg on the something like the selfish reason to respect rights. It's good. Um, Adam Mossoff and a co-author whose name unfortunately is escaping me now has some more general stuff on Ayn Rand's theory of rights. And um, there's just a number of pieces that touch on political issues that I think are really good. So highly recommend that. So I want to start off then with making the point that none of this is obvious. One thing that should be super clear as you're reading this section 
is how much we're cashing in on all of objectivism and that as Leonard is stressing like he's it's politics and individual rights is a concept you're reading it off directly from ethics and aspects of human nature which and as he put in parentheticals building on metaphysics and epistemology um you there's so much deep philosophy that is necessary even to get the points let alone their validation here and it's one reason why Ayn Rand was opposed to libertarianism which at least in the form that was um being articulated at the time that she was alive was self-consciously trying to cut off political philosophy from the rest of philosophy and the reason you can't do that is because people bring these deeper premises deeper philosophic ideas into politics um and not just objectivist ideas either so egalitarians for instance they're starting with well the uh, equality of condition is a moral ideal and fairness consists of remedying that unfairness whether it's caused by man such as let's say a caste system or by nature such as some people being more intelligent than others so that's a i mean the philosophic view that stretches uh, all the way back to the metaphysics epistemology view of man and ethics or if you think that marxist the whole way of viewing the world is that there's we have these clashes with uh, these classes with clashing, conflicting interests, and our goal should be to liberate exploited the exploited class from exploiters. Paternalism, which has the view that we're incapable of making rational decisions, and then we need the government then to kind of save us from ourselves. And my point is that all of these different frameworks lead people to oppose individual rights and it's not simply that it leads them to oppose individual rights it's that they're these different starting points make what seems obvious to somebody inclined towards objectivism um makes freedom seem obvious to them but to the people with you have different philosophic premises if you think about reason and man's nature and ethics in different ways then the objectivist politics seems crazy and they're right to think it's crazy like given their views about human nature about the good about the way the world works the idea that individual rights should be governing politics is insane now this doesn't mean so one implication that's sometimes drawn is like well you can't have political discussions with anybody basically you need to like convince them on metaphysics and epistemology and then maybe 10 years down the road you can have a po political discussion um that is not at all true and I'm, i mean i've written books on politics and you'll notice that they don't sit there and have you know a bunch of chapters on foundational philosophical issues but it's that once you know these issues are at play you can address them and you can often address them in relatively quick and easy ways depending on your audience and um i mean you can see my books for how i handle this and my communication advice where i talk about how to do this but you have to know that these deeper issues are going on and that any political arguments you make without addressing those without addressing the ones that are most active in people's thinking um will ultimately be unconvincing and this is the another way to put this is that you know the libertarians are really wrong so like the the reason they thought well we can cut off 
political philosophy from philosophy is that every philosophic view is consistent with liberty. And that's just not true. And indeed, one of the points that Ankar makes in that um, series on that he did with Greg, the lectures he did with Greg on liberty, was how often political or certain uh, moral views lead to the idea that the initiation of physical force is good. And in particular, it's any view that's kind of anti-reason, any view that is upholding some form of intrinsicism or subjectivism is going to say that at least in some cases, the initiation of force is good. And so um, you have to be able to kind of re, you have to be able to uh, address these deeper issues and the the, but the basic point I'm making is not so much like how do we persuade people here, but it's just understanding why it's not like a, an automatic sign of dishonesty that somebody hears kind of like, oh, well, we need the government just to protect individual rights. And they think, how in the world is that ever going to work or make sense? So one question you might have is, well, why bother with the whole concept of individual rights? Like, why don't we just say, don't initiate force and the government's there to punish people who initiate force. And I think what comes through in this section, but will come through even more as we proceed is that it's not sufficient to create a social system. Like don't initiate force is perfectly good moral guidance for, you know, a person who's obviously by themselves. But if you have kind of like small scale human interactions, but we're all in the context of trying to create or reform a social system. Um, the whole question that you face is, well, what counts as the initiation of force? And even if you take a seemingly obvious case, right? Like murder, what constitutes murder? Well, you need to formulate the issue of rights because there's a real question of, well, what's murder and what's self-defense? And then it's not like those are the only two. There can be things uh, you know, the, the whole legal code, you know, breaks down different, um, in effect, like manslaughter and different things where you can kill a person and it's not classified as murder, but just at the kind of sheer uh, murder or self-defense, like, am I initiating force if somebody steps into my yard to fetch a baseball and I just shoot him? What if it's a thief trying to steal my car or break into my house? What if it's a thief and he's running away once he sees my gun. That you can only resolve these questions with the issue from the perspective of rights, let alone things like intellectual property, contracts, relationships between uh, husbands and wife and children and parents and so on. So you need, what rights do is they specify a course of action that morally you should be able to take and therefore it's a sanction on your freedom to take that action without permission. And um, the it's true that the only way you can violate rights is through the initiation of, of physical force. But what constitutes the initiation of physical force, that's going to depend on the formulation of rights. And I want to elaborate on this last, the, I, I said the formulation or the formulating of rights. So rights are formulated that they're 
they're not something that we have. And this is one of the problems with how sometimes it'll be talked about under natural rights theories, but certainly how people think about and talk about rights today. It's just that rights are something we have and you kind of like, does this person have rights? And it's not clear how you even proceed. But from objectivism's perspective, they're moral principles. And like any other moral principle, they're formulated. They're formulated by us for a specific purpose. And in this context, rights are formulated to organize society so that individuals can follow the principles of morality, so that they can engage in a quest for happiness and self-preservation. And in particular, the way you can think about this is it's subordinating might to right, which is a phrase Rand invokes and Ankar likes to talk about a lot. It's that we have a view of what's right and we want to subordinate might to it and not let people in society, it's, um, as she put it, you want to keep, uh, basically make society bend to moral law. But stressing the idea that rights are formulated and they're formulated by us for a purpose doesn't make them arbitrary. It's not like they're social conventions or something. It's that they're based on facts. And it's ultimately the same facts we examined when we formulated the principles of morality. The only difference is really one of perspective, that in morality we said, you should do this if you want to live. And in politics say, you must be free to do this in order to protect those who want to live. And this is actually, though it's messy in many ways, but this is actually the way that kind of rights were developed and thought of during the Enlightenment. So like if you if you read Locke's essay concerning toleration, it's this recognition that well you can't force the true and the good on people. Like just as a factual matter, that's not possible. And yet it seems that the whole purpose of political philosophy is to promote the true and the good. And so that seems like a riddle, which is how can government exist to um promote the true and the good and you can't actually force that on people and rights are exactly what resolve that issue because they don't enforce a moral way of life what they enforce are the social conditions necessary so that the individual can if he or she chooses live a moral life and if you don't view rights this way as things formulated for a purpose based on a goal and certain facts um it leads to all sorts of problems in the way you think about political questions. So take, I mean, there's a million of these, but like the dumb kind of like libertarian and young objectivists will debate like, what if somebody builds a road around your house and charges you a million dollars? And it's, that's treating rights as there's these dogmas and we like, doesn't a person, like if they have a right to property, they must be able to do, uh, you know, buy this plot of land and charge whatever they want and we couldn't we couldn't ever like stop them from doing that or we'd be violating property rights but it's no we're formulating property rights in order to safeguards safeguard every individual's ability to pursue his own interests and to that means it that rights are there to protect independent action and so it can't be that you can use your rights that that protecting rights can mean the enslavement of the individual it's like saying like you fall asleep and i'm just going to build a prison around you and it's well like that's my right that's you know my right to property no that like this that is not 
you would you, you would never formulate rights in such a way as that that leaves the open the door to that kind of uh, situation. Or take, I think, a, a more relatable example, the abortion debate, which Leonard touches on here. One of the things that's really interesting is that Ayn Rand regards the abortion issue as obvious and so obvious that's kind of a litmus test for if a person is intellectually honest and values liberty and many people most people and even a lot of objectivists regard it as a difficult question and i think part of it is you have to remember her perspective that rights are formulated for a purpose that it's protecting the survival and flourishing of adult human beings and if someone then comes along and says oh i've just discovered this right that means a woman's forced to become um forced to become pregnant or not have sex or forced to like have a kid or not have sex like you would know that that is like that can't be right because you're turning rights into these sacrificial duties imposed on us by god and it would have to be god or or in uh, a religious equivalent um, since you're treating something like an embryo that's manifestly not human it's not the kind of entity that you're formulating rights uh, in order to like safeguard their ability to act independently um, that that's a pure article of faith and notice that's not what happens when you protect the rights of children it's not um oh you chose to have sex and accidentally got pregnant and now you have to take care of this person for 18 years no it's that you might have accidentally gotten pregnant but you deliberately chose to bring a human being who cannot survive on its own into existence and so as a result of that choice you have certain responsibilities um as a parallel here it's like anti-capitalists will often say look society gave you all these benefits like you know as a kid you learned all these things and you had this whole infrastructure that you didn't create and you benefited from and so now because of all those benefits society gave you you have a bunch of obligations um and it doesn't take much to see that well wait no like you can't have unchosen obligations in that way you didn't ask to be born you didn't ask for these things from society um it can't be that people give me benefits and now they own me without me having any sort of say in the matter it's only when a person voluntarily assumes responsibilities in exchange for values that then they have obligations and they have those obligations because i mean that's freely assuming what responsibilities to take on that is the exact way in which we do pursue self-preservation and so it's the same with abortion i can't have an unchosen obligation to care for a child but if i assume that responsibility it's not a violation of my rights that i have to live up to that responsibility so the way to think about it is not that there are these rights we have to obey because god commands it and we have to like basically ask for an intuition from god on who has rights and what those rights mean it's rather um these are moral principles to guide us in thinking about how individuals can flourish in society and so the thing that you keep coming back to is the facts and reality is like all right this is a goal it's the goal for each individual to be able to live a moral life in society there's certain metaphysically given facts about the individual and so on um so then that's that's what is giving you the context then to understand validate and apply the concept of rights
let's talk about a distinction that's made in often by people who are pro-freedom, um, though it's wider than that, and that is positive versus negative rights. And objectivism completely rejects that distinction. The idea is supposed to be like things like a job, right to a job or right to food or right to health care. These are positive rights. You're getting something. But the rights to life, liberty, and property, these are supposedly negative rights. It just says like don't use force against people. And from objectivism's perspective, that's totally wrong. Like it's true, and Ayn Rand stresses us, that rights only impose a negative obligation on others, but that rights themselves are essentially positive. That they're carving out, they're, they're per- defining a sphere of action that protects a rational, creative cor- course of life. It says, you should do this, so you should be free to do this. And notice that this is this way of thinking about rights is that there's a positive course of action that's good and that we want to protect. This is very different than another common formulation that you'll get by people who are pro-freedom oriented, which is something like, well, you should be free to do whatever you want so long as you don't interfere with the same rights of others. Now, that's actually empty and I think in the end incoherent. But what I'm stressing now is that it drops out the positive. Rights say there's a moral way of life, a rational, productive way of life that's good and that we want to protect. That's like that's what rights are doing. And so, yeah, for you to be rational, that means the government can't dictate what's rational. So in that sense, you're also protecting people's right to be irrational, but that's not the focus. The whole focus is on the positive. And this should then, I think, help us understand this view of rights as um, protecting a positive and should help us uh, understand two of the most plausible concerns that people have about individual rights. The first you can think of is welfare rights, and this is the kind of thing that's grouped under, that's you know often labeled positive rights. And then the second is unjust discrimination. So let's start out with the welfare rights perspective. And here the basic idea is there's something desirable that can come from violating individual rights. And specifically, it's like, you claim to care about human life, human flourishing. Well, how can a person without money or a job or healthcare flourish? Now, the essential answer to that is you don't have the right to violate rights. But if that's all you have to say, then I don't think you're really getting at the, the issue. Because, I mean, the welfare rights view is observing something real. Human beings do have certain needs. Like if you don't get food or money, you will die. But what it's ignoring, and I think often evading, is the question of, well, how do human beings satisfy our needs? And if you think about what we've done in OPAR, a huge part of what objectivism is thinking about in ethics is what is the process that an individual has to go through in order to satisfy his needs? And it's that process that then we're trying to protect in politics. The welfare rights perspective basically says, well, you shouldn't have to go through that whole process. You should just have your needs met. But of course, like that is rewriting reality. Like it's not objectivists who are jerks for insisting that you have to be rational and productive in order to have your needs met. It's a metaphysically given fact. And you can't alter that fact. All you can do is say that some people have to perform the process for others. And I mean, first of all, that's unjust. 
because the basic idea of this you know wonderfully noble compassionate uh idea of welfare rights is like i work you eat so it's just a total double standard injustice and then to the extent that you commit the injustice you're undermining the source of values that you're depending on which is a whole big theme of atlas shrugged in the way that the looters count on the producers they count on the creators for their own survival and they're destroying the creators they're hobbling their ability to to undergo the process of value creation um, by the very fact of being looters and so a way to think about that is social systems that take seriously you work and i eat everyone starves and that it's only by kind of compromising on that and saying, all right, well, we're not going to completely uh, cripple your ability to start a business. And we're not going to take away so much of your wealth that you can't eat at all, um, that you can disguise the evil and destructiveness of that system. But that's true of every evil. Every evil is exception making and, you know, um, doing what you think you can get away with to your victims. But that doesn't change the fact that it's fundamentally a destructive behavior and it's a destructive long range to the people who are advocating for it and carrying it out and then finally it's important to keep in mind that well who benefits from this and part of thinking about that is getting that what does it mean to benefit from objectivism's perspective it's not just getting some isolated concrete thing it's living a certain kind of life it's going through the process of thinking and producing that enables you to satisfy your needs that that is what actually re results in self-preservation and in happiness now it can be true certainly temporarily but you know in, in rare cases that in a free society there's some people who can't satisfy their needs going through that process now this is the exception though precisely because reason is man's basic means of survival and freedom allows you to exercise reason um in that case in those kind of exceptional cases then one of the things that Ayn Rand would often stress is that that it's those people who are who do need help who should be the first to d demand and respect the rights of uh, everybody else's freedom precisely because they depend on those people and the whole idea that well i depend on you and therefore i'm going to enslave you she thought was short-range disastrous and evil so let's then turn to unjust discrimination so with welfare rights the idea was there's something desirable that comes from violating individual rights and with unjust discrimination, it's that there's something undesirable that comes from protecting rights. And the claim is that, well, look, on our theory of individual rights as being the basic principle of government, you know, if a racist decides not to like serve black people or give them credit uh, or, you know, give them jobs or whatever, that like, that's just fine. Go right ahead. But on the other hand, we all obviously think, no, that's not fine. That's really bad. And so how can you say that freedom is necessary to flourish when your conception of freedom is letting people do these really bad, destructive things like engage in racial discrimination? And the essential answer is that unjust discrimination doesn't violate rights. But again, if that's all you have, then I don't think you really are thinking about the issue. The basic point is this, which is that the reason to protect unjust discrimination is not because we want unjust discrimination. It's because we want freedom and that 
freedom is the precondition of being able to survive and being able to flourish, but that you can't protect freedom without protecting irrational uses of that freedom. And I think this is most easy to see if you think about free speech, right? So you couldn't say, well, I'm for free speech except for communist ideas. Like allowing government to censor ideas you don't like is the opposite of free speech. And you'll have no grounds then for when, you know, the majority decides to censor ideas that you do care about and that you do think are true and good. And it's similar for unjust discrimination. It's like property rights are essential to human flourishing. But if you say, well, I'm for property rights except for racists, well, then that means no one has a right to property whenever the majority disagrees with their ideas or disagrees with how they're using their property. It's the end of property rights. It's that you've now made property an issue of permission at the mercy of whatever the people in power or the majority happens uh, to demand. So today, for instance, it's like, yeah, you can't discriminate in the basis of race. But then tomorrow it's, well, actually, anti-racism means means equal representation in hiring, so you'd better discriminate against white people and Asians. Now, what is, you might still think like, all right, but basically by focusing so much on individual rights and force, you're still then, aren't you letting people suffer a fate as equally bad as like being robbed? And here the point is that, no, when people are irrational but don't use force, the key thing is that they're not creating obstacles for rational people. They're simply a non-aid. And, and, and they're leaving the rational person no worse off than if they had never existed. Like, they can't take anything from you. They can just not give you a job, not let you into a restaurant. That And, and again... That can be really bad, but it's in a fundamentally different category than they're stopping you from making choices on how to improve your life. So if somebody doesn't won't serve you in a restaurant, then you're in, you're no worse off than that restaurant just hadn't been open, hadn't been there. Um, if somebody robs the food that you bought, then that is, it's making you worse off. Uh, it's preventing you from actually using your mind and to improve and improve your life and achieve values. And notice that this is this is a strong reason to oppose giving the government the power to initiate force. That as bad as it is for somebody to unjustly refuse to provide benefits, it's way worse if that person had was able to wield the power of the government to to stop others from helping you. So for instance, yeah, it's bad if somebody won't serve me in their restaurant. It's way worse if they gang up with a bunch of their racist friends and pass a law that says no restaurant can serve me or worse. And so that's what individual rights as a principle denies. It says, no, they can't do that. Nobody can impose barriers on me. Nobody can impose obstacles. All they can do is irrationally decide to withhold benefits that they have created or that they are in a position in order to bestow. So there's much more to say about that, but I'm just going to focus on one uh, final question here, and that is what we can think of as, um, you know, the selfish reason to respect other people's rights. So rights are often viewed as limitations on self-interest. 
Robert Nozick, for example, he had this idea of like rights as what he called side constraints. And it was essentially, well, you can pursue your own goals so long as you don't do this kind of harmful thing to others. So it's a limitation on you doing what you want. It's a limitation on your personal goals or on your self-interest. And for Rand, rights protect the pursuit of self-interest. But then that can lead to the question of, well, why does she think it's in your interest to respect others' rights? Like, how is that truly selfish and you get a lot of arguments that try to show there's a tension between well there's aren't these these cases where you would be better off by violating people's rights and now the essential issue is like we've already addressed that so remember we've already established over the course of uh, chapters seven eight nine what a self-interested way of life is that it's a life of reason purpose, self-esteem, rationality, independence, productiveness, justice. And when we're formulating rights, we're formulating it precisely to protect that way of life. It says you have the ability to totally act in a self-interested way. So there's no real question in politics of, well, wouldn't it, you know, why would it be in your interest to uh, act within your rights, not to violate the rights of others? And you know, we've tackled this from different perspectives of why, you know, we need to be honest, why we need to act on principle, why we shouldn't try to, uh, you know, why trying to be a predator and live as a predator is wrong. But here I just want to underline the fact that, like, this really doesn't take much reflection to see that it's not to your interest to violate rights. Because what it really amounts to is, look, you can make other people's virtues your ally, or you can make them your enemy. Like if you respect others' rights, then the more they produce, the more knowledge they discover, the more they achieve, the better off you are. And we'll talk about that more when we get to capitalism. Um, if you violate their rights, you're undermining their ability to create values, which means you'll suffer. And then they're going to use their mind and their virtues and their resources to stop, punish, and destroy you. So it's like the stupidest approach to life you could imagine. So the, the, you know, the key idea here is that um, rights are formulated to protect what is actually to your self-interest. And so you know, at this stage in the game, like we've presented objectivism's argument for why, for the actual virtues that are in your self-interest and for the actual nature of human relationships that are to your self-interest. And that's what rights protect. And so there's no issue of them constraining your pursuit of your interests it's that they're protecting your pursuit of your interests and it's that there's no conflict between your pursuit of your interests and other people's pursuit of theirs and indeed um, that there's a harmony of those interests that we benefit the more successful and happy other people are and um, that the and that the downside of violating it is that you're turning potential benefits into threats and that that's disastrous so that's it like i said there's a lot more to say in the topic of individual rights some of it will cover as we get into the next chapters on government and on the opposite of individual rights systems of statism and then uh, turn to capitalism um, but that is going to cover the essential issues of the foundation of government Hope that was useful. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, like this video, and go to donswriting.com and sign up for the newsletter. Talk next time.